mental health access continues to be a challenge. And I'm excited today to talk with Dr. Sherry Friedrich, the Chief Psychology Officer at Medi Telecare, to talk about bringing behavioral health access into long-term care facilities. This is a great opportunity to learn how telehealth can directly affect our clients and patients in long-term care and how telemedicine can help serve their behavioral health needs. So join me and Dr. Sherry Friedrich for this exciting episode of Sam Talks Telehealth. Let's get into the podcast. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Sherry. I'm super excited to have you on Sam Talks Telehealth. Welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. So um, we are new to each other, have just met, so I'd love it if you give the audience a little bit of background on yourself and the kind of work you do. Great, thank you. I am a clinical psychologist by training. I went to school at Antioch University here in New England. I'm located in New Hampshire, working um, remotely at this time. I did my training in New York City at Albert Einstein College of Medicine and then some advanced psychology training at New York Psychoanalytic then came back and finished up training at Boston Psychoanalytic and uh, started at Meditelli as their chief psychology officer after a short stint in private practice and community mental health. So for about the last six or seven years, I've been working uh, primarily with older adults in, um, in their homes, in skilled nursing settings and assisted living communities and overseeing a group of clinical psychologists and social workers that uh, provide behavioral health to aging adults. Awesome. And my audience knows I'm a big advocate for behavioral health for many reasons, not only because we need it, but also, you know, my own experience and my own uh, family and, and my sister's a child and adolescent psychiatrist. So again, we have a lot of background in the space. And I love you've been doing this uh, remote telehealth kind of thing, you know, for over six years. So tell us, like, how, what did you see this change, like, you know, March 2020 hit and we went from, I think, you know, you and I've been in telehealth for a long time. People are sort of like, what do you do to, oh my gosh, now I know exactly what you do. But how, how did that change for, for your business and for your patients? Well, it, it, you're absolutely right. It changed in a very rapid fashion. So our background is really doing telehealth in rural settings. So we were permitted by um, governing agencies and CMS um, and had a lot of support to deliver behavioral health to rural communities where behavioral health was really hard um, to get, especially for older adults. And so that was our original business model was telehealth in rural settings. And then um, the pandemic hit and the floodgates opened and we began to see not only an increased need for behavioral health because of everything that was going on in people's worlds, but also a loosening of those restrictions that were just in place, allowing us to extend our reach and work with any, um, anybody in any community to deliver telehealth services. So we've seen a real increase in ability to provide services and ability to reach people. And sadly, at the same time, we've seen more and more people in need of behavioral health who hadn't needed that service prior to the pandemic. 
Yeah. Now you mentioned, of course, older adults and, you know, a very common theme among people's perception of telehealth is that older adults aren't able to use technology. Um, What have you, you know, what have you seen over the years with that? What level of technological support? Obviously, it's going to be different in there if they're in skilled or a nursing home versus their own home. But what have you seen with older people being able to use technology? For a short break in the podcast, I want to talk to clinicians out there who'd like more resources and support around getting on the camera. We know you've been doing it for well over a year, but there's still some things that can always help you present just as professional as in clinic as you do on camera. So for additional resources, I've created a workshop called Camera Confidence for Clinicians. You can find that at telehealtheasy.com forward slash camera. And that's a workshop to really help you get more connected with your patients, feel as professional in person as you do on the screen. And it's a nice workshop to be able to give you all the tools, checklists, and some really easy hacks to make it, you know, less overwhelming to be on camera and not so worried about, I don't know, the second chin or any other variety of things. But we've got you covered. TelehealthEasy.com forward slash camera for a great workshop on improving your virtual health visits. With that, let's get back to the podcast. You know, it's really interesting. I really um, discovered how adaptable older adults are, and it probably shouldn't surprise me thinking about what, you know, what these generations have gone through and what their experiences um, have been and how resilient our older adults and seniors are. So I think there's um, certainly a stereotype that, you know, they can't do telehealth or telehealth isn't for them. Um, What I found is that we have to be able to adapt too as practitioners and we have to understand our patients' unique needs and what can help support them. Telehealth isn't a one size fits all. It's not a Zoom meeting. It's not just about opening a camera, opening up your computer, putting on your camera and let's go. It's about understanding the people that you work with and what they need to have success and comfort in that experience. So just a couple of things, you know, for our skilled nursing patients, we found that putting a facilitator in the field, in the facility to help assist with the telehealth building visits has been incredible. Um, It's allowed us to reach a wider audience. It allows us to make adaptions with the technology that we use so that people's sound is better, so that we can bring them any aids and devices that they may need to have a successful visit and to be able to pull staff into the sessions when needed. So that's definitely been a solution that we've emphasized for skilled nursing facilities. For people at home, um, we have a a really high contact, high touch point uh, liaison that will help with an older adult looking for services if they maybe need support downloading an app or getting into that first video session. But with a few additional aids, we're able to really get going and get telehealth administered to those older adults who need it. And they love it. They love it. The feedback is amazing when you see them smile and they're like, it's the doctor on TV and they, you know, and and the other benefit um, that I'll add is what it's like for our patients in nursing facilities to see a face without a mask and to be able to see a smile. In fact, it hit me so hard the first time I did telehealth in the pandemic. I went in to see one of my patients and she just started having tears roll down her cheek and she said, This is the first time in weeks I've seen somebody smile. 
And it just, and I was like, oh my goodness, I had never even considered that. But she's surrounded by people who are wearing a mask all day and all night. And just to see a smile was, was just huge for her. Wow. You have just like dropped so many like gems there. I mean, I think one where you talk about that extra support at the facility and at home doing that high touch. So you get people going because once people are up and going, they're in good shape, but you need, and honestly, it's been the same training clinicians for years. Sometimes you're like, okay, we're going to need a lot more support here. Get you rolling. But I think what you just said about that interacting with providers when you are in a healthcare facility um, who doesn't have a mask on. I don't think we don't even think about that. Right. And what that means for you. Um, of course, you know, we want people to be safe and wearing masks is important, but here's, what's interesting is, you know, I'm sure you've heard it. Like I have, well, you can't have this personal connection through video. Well, actually, if I'm in a situation where I'm not having the personal connection of full facial expression of smiles and things like that, now my remote provider actually becomes someone I'm more connected with in potentially than the people in the room because you have way more facial cues than you're getting, you know, without And we know for psychotherapy, that's just, that's so important because it's so much of it is the nonverbal piece of it. So... Yeah. And I'll actually joke. I was doing therapy during the pandemic and I did say to my therapist, you know, this is really weird because we were in person and we were doing EMDR and I was like, it's really weird having a mask on. I said, because you can't see when I'm like joking, you know, and we'd only met each other during the pandemic. So it was also a very interesting experience for both because you're sitting in a room doing therapy with masks on. So there's a there's a little note. But on that, I know that you do a lot of um, work and specialization and trauma-informed care. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you approach trauma-informed care with your, you know, older, older patients. And yeah, I'm just really, it's an area that I think is really important that people need to understand. And so the more we can spread that education, the better. Well, trauma-informed care is all about recognizing where people have come from up until the point they're at in their life, whether you're working with a child or you're working with somebody in their 80s or 90s. And it's really about resisting re-traumatization and removing any possible triggers that could re-traumatize someone who has had a traumatic past. And, you know, unfortunately, we know trauma is all too common. It's not an uncommon experience. So um, it's not surprising that people that are older adults have had um, their share of trauma throughout the lifespan. And being a dependent adult in a facility or in an environment where you're depending on others for care can sort of recapitulate that childhood experience of being dependent on people who may not be available, especially when you're thinking about childhood abuse, uh, childhood neglect. And so with um, the older adults we work with, a few important things. One is really screening everyone for trauma. I think that's just good clinical practice. We need to ask the questions. We shouldn't be afraid or ashamed to ask the questions. And asking the questions is not offensive. And so we often have to educate on that. It's okay to ask. Um, It's okay to tell patients that they can decline answering. That's the patient's choice or that they're welcome to share their story and we'll keep it safe and protected and try to understand how to best meet what their needs are, what their safety, emotional safety needs are. So trauma-informed care in a very formalized way is an initiative um, as part of the final rule for CMS that really came out back in November, 2019, right before the pandemic. 
So the timing in terms of getting buildings on board and training their staff was certainly a, a challenging because little did we all know we were going into a pandemic. But the need for trauma-informed care now is just so obvious and so clear as we um, have all had our share of sort of collective trauma during the time that we live in, but also just remembering what it's like for our patients in um, nursing facilities who have been probably the most challenged by this pandemic in terms of the social isolation, um, lots of death around many of our residents and having to come to terms with that being separated from loved ones. It's just really taken a toll on that patient population. So trauma-informed care is really about just educating caregivers, educating the community and creating a center and a milieu that um, really re respects people, emphasizes dignity and takes all measures needed to avoid uh, re-traumatizing patients. Yeah, I think, um... I think you would the points you bring up around that, you know, when you're an older adult and then you're going back into being a dependent, right? You're dependent on others. I can, yeah, I can certainly reflect on that of, you know, I am very open with my audience about different things, having my own complex trauma is, yeah, then you're relying on people. So all that young stuff, you're like, mm, I don't trust any of this going to happen like it's supposed to, you know, and so you can, and then as a, as that human, your reactions could look very ir irrational to your care team who thinks, hey, this is all going like it's supposed to, but you have this underlying thing. And you, until you know that you are tra have trauma, you just think, oh, I, I'm just, you know, my reaction's normal, right? And so I think that's a really interesting because your care team can think, what is going on here? But when they understand what's gone on in your life, then they can look at it and say, oh, this is just a trigger and now we need to work through it. Exactly, exactly. And not pathologizing the person and not saying their response isn't normal, rather looking at it like, no, the experiences that they have that led them to respond this way, that's what's not normal. What they went through is what is pathological. And now we have to find a way to make that person feel safe so they can respond in a different manner. So it really is a reshifting and moving away from pathologizing a person to a deeper level of understanding and corrective experience. Yeah, and I love it too, because I think especially being for people to be supported that way in their, in their elder years, I mean, that could also be like an incredibly freeing experience for them, right? They may finally come to things that, you know, allowed them to go through this elder years and transition in a much freer way than, than they may have their whole lives. Absolutely. And it may be the first time for some of these people that it's ever even being recognized or talked about. Yeah. And we know that dialogue and talk can be curative in itself. Yeah, no, I love that. So all your, everyone who's benefiting from your expertise, you know, I, I commend you on that. It's a, it's incredible work. And I, you know, we all know the behavioral health needs are, you know, never ending. And I think what's interesting is I definitely agree. The pandemic has, has there's more behavioral health um, because of the pandemic, but at the same time, we had a whole lot before. I just don't know if we were willing to talk about it before. Such a good point. I was actually catching myself as I was saying that to you and thinking like, is it fair to blame it all on the pandemic or is so much of this what has been collectively brewing even leading up? And this is kind of the tipping point. 
when we're really facing, you know, a lot of challenges right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, just final question. What do you see? I mean, what do you see as the future in the next couple of years for, you know, telehealth with your patient population? Well, I think, you know, in terms of working with older adults, we know that now more than ever, people want to age at home. People prefer to age at home. So my hope and where I believe things will go from a behavioral health standpoint is that we will embrace that wish and provide more wraparound um, and interdisciplinary specialized services that are home-based via telehealth to help support that desire so that somebody with behavioral health needs can, you know, age in, age in place, age at home, have their behavioral health specialist see them via telehealth, have their uh, neurologist see them when possible via telehealth, you know, and have more um, ability to really get great care in their home environment, which is where we know that people want to be and where people feel safe. So I think that's the, that's the future for telehealth, more expansive services, more specialized offerings at home. Yeah, I love that. And certainly the work you're already doing, it allows you to even, you know, I talk a lot on the show about different digital health companies, different, whether it's, you know, hospital at home, all these kinds of things. It allows you a niche again, then to come alongside of someone who may already be working on their hospital at home program. And then how, how do you come alongside? Because I think one challenge with our innovators is if everyone's inventing everything from scratch, like we'll never have enough behavioral health providers, but you have this expertise in a very specific patient population. So that can allow you to, you know, come alongside the people who are doing the medical uh, hospital at home. So I think that's it. I love that um, aging it, aging in place and, and that focus in behavioral health is wonderful. Dr. Sherry, I'm so glad you came on the show. It's been so great to get a chance to meet you and really you're <laughs> You're doing blessed work. I think we all we all know how important the kind of work you're doing is. So I really want to say thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. It's been really fun speaking with you today.